0: So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 620 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 15th of October, 2021, and this is episode 493 of Bitcoin, and we sit down with Modern T-Man. I'm doing an interview, the second one this week. In fact, uh, we're going to talk about beef, the Texas beef beef initiative, his time, uh, quote unquote, on harvest and what that actually means, uh, what he saw while he was doing such things, and you know what we think about nutrition, grocery stores, what we think is going to happen with his food supply. Not that it's all advice, as much as there are certain patterns that you know that I've been seeing, uh, he's certainly been seeing, and so we decided to get together and talk and remind you, this is the only guy, this is the only Bitcoiner outside of a conference that I have met in Space. And it's been kind of fun just being able to go grab a coffee with a guy that's a fellow Bitcoiner, you know, actually he's not the only guy I, I there's, there's, uh, um, there's another guy that I met oh God, his name escapes me right now. Uh, now, well, it's just because it's like really early in the morning. Um, anyway, I was able to sit down with him because he was coming through uh, on a vacation with his holiday with his family. God, is it really that early? Jesus Christ. He was coming through Amarillo with his family on vacation and we got to hook up and have coffee. And that was an interesting discussion too. But modern t man lives. He lives in the area, so we get to sit down and chat. You know, more than more than just once, and for longer than you know, 45 minutes to an hour at a time. And this uh, interview go, goes on for about an hour, and we're you know, screw it, let's just start right now and we are here live well it's not live you know me guys this is audio only and i usually record these things uh before i put them onto the bitcoin and podcast but this is bitcoin and probably episode 470 or 493 we'll we'll figure all that shit out later but my guest today is somebody that you've probably heard of by now i was not the one to break the uh this man's uh podcasting cherry but we are with modern t-man at modern t-man you've seen him on twitter if you have not i god damn it don't know where the hell you've
1: been so modern t-man how are you doing bro hey dave how you doing uh it's good to be here it's good to talk to you again um it's a beautiful day in Texas, man. Everything's going well. Uh, I love listening to you. I love uh, being able to meet you. And, uh, you know, it's been a good connection that we've established.
0: Yeah, that was kind of an interesting, interesting deal. Uh, for those of you who do not know, Modern T-Man, outside of a Bitcoin conference, is the only Bitcoiner that I've met in space for any length of time at all. Um, it was kind of interesting. We hooked up on Twitter and discovered that we both live in very, very close to each other in the panhandle of Texas here. And we started hooking up and having coffee. And, uh, I got a inside scoop of everything that, that, uh, the T-Man is doing. Uh, and if, if you don't know what modern T-Man is doing, we're going to get into all of that during this interview, but for now, Let's find out a little bit about modern team man. So, who are you? Where do you come from? And, and what is it that you're doing? And then we'll sure. unfold all that in the interview. Yeah, that sounds
1: good. Yeah, I'll try not to get too wordy, but <laughs> I like to tell a story every once in a while. But okay. yeah, David, you know, I, I grew up uh, you know, I grew up in the Panhandle of Texas uh, when I was 19, 18, 18, 19, I You know, I, I fled to Austin. I wanted to get away from the Panhandle most people do when they grow up here just because they want to go see the big cities. Well, I ended up in Austin. And so, uh, from that I got into technology very young and, uh, grew up a cowboy, uh, became a hippie punk cowboy in Austin. And, uh, you know, I had a, I had a string of good events, you know, I became an international ski instructor. I worked in technology labs. I worked in intelligence in the uh, telecom labs there in Austin. I went through three startups and you know i've got to travel around the world a couple of times so you know i've been really fortunate with some uh some good adventure and i've got a pretty well uh rounded background from blue collar agricultural to all the way to you know software development data science analytics research intelligence so i came back to the panhandle because austin i love austin don't get me wrong but it wasn't the city that I'd grown to love and I have family in the panhandle. So I thought, Hey, I'm going to go back here and I'm going to, I'm going to dive into something. I'm going to dive into the food industry because I see a lot of things and I'm hearing a lot of things. And so that's what brought me back. And then, you know, I went on the adventure that you and I kind of discussed and uh, I found Bitcoin a little too late, but I found it. And you know, that led me to you. And, uh, you know, I've got a, a pretty big thing going on here. We're going to call it the Texas Beef Initiative. And what we're going to do is we're going to get really good beef and we're going to decentralize as much as we can. It's just going to be a fight. Decentralize the beef industry in a way that nobody's ever seen. And we're going to do it with the Bitcoin philosophy and on the Bitcoin networking protocol. So that's kind of the All right. short of it.
0: Okay. Well, usually people uh, on, on interviews and whatnot, Sort of like, you know, at the very end of the interview, we'll say, well, hey, you know, what, what websites can we go to and, and where can we find you? But I want to do this first because you're keeping, basically keeping a log of, of all this, yeah. you know, of all that's going on, I think on initiative.substack.com. Is that correct?
1: That is, that's, that's exactly the place I'm doing. It's a, it's an updated feed that's uh right now it's three times a week. It's uh Monday mornings. Wednesday nights and uh, Friday evenings at five o'clock. So, you know, and there's going to be three different narratives, but they're all about the same thing. It's about it's about our food supply. It's about beef. It's about lifestyle. Okay, so guys, if you uh, if you have
0: not gone there yet, it is initiative like dude. Take the initiative. Dot So let's let's kind of dive into to what it is that you're doing and what are the th- I think a, a good entry point, and you've talked about it before, but a good entry point is the things that you discovered when you went quote unquote on harvest. And I'm, I'm going to kind of like, there, there's some people that, you know, it's on a couple of the other interviews that I in uh well interviews and Twitter feeds. Some people have been asking questions. Well, what the hell does on harvest mean? And I kind of want to give what I think that means. And then you correct me. As to how bad I fucked that up. So I I think that what from what I gathered from you, you, in this case, took the initiative to go find out what the hell's going on with the United States harvest this year. What does it consist of? Where is it? Well, not we know where it is, but basically what does it consist of? And you wanted to put boots on the ground to kind of gather intelligence of what was being harvested and maybe even possibly where, like, as in what commodity in what state. And then you joined a crew of harvesters that basically went from north, well, from the panhandle of Texas up to the Canadian border and then down around the uh, west side of Mississippi and back home. And we're on that for like six to eight weeks, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly, uh, it's a funny story, you know, because coming from the panhandle of Texas, you better know a little bit about, you know, wearing a pair of boots and knowing a little bit about agriculture, cattle and, you know, food. So, yeah, I come from farming. My grandfather's a farmer. He, He, you know, he, he established up here a long time ago. So I'm, like I said, seventh generation, seventh generation Texan. So, I do have some skills that I've used in my life. it had been a while, so I said, I'm looking at people, and this is this is, I'll be as honest as I can with this. I'm looking at people. I'm looking at health because I know the health industry. I've got friends that are doctors, and I started putting stuff together. And everybody can do it. It's not difficult. But I said the only way I'm going to do this because now I'm in Bitcoin. I'm not going to be a f- fucking rent seeker anymore in my life. And so I said, I've got this skill that I haven't used in a long time. So I'm going to go and I'm going to embed myself into a harvest company. And what I did is I put an email together and I, I was pretty wordy with it, but you know, I said, Hey, I'm a, I'm a strong ass Texan. I got skill because I know they're hurting for people to work, so i sent out about 20 emails and the harvest company in kansas i'll just say that they reached out to me and said hell yeah I'll get your ass here and i said "Oh, it's been a while you know since i've been on a combine or a tractor and they didn't care so what you do is you get in and you get a crew and there's about 20 to 25 guys we're usually about six to seven combines you got fuel trucks you have tractors you have grain carts you have 12 semis you have 12 semi-trailers You have flatbed trailers. It is a hell of an orchestration. And what you do is the harvester has connections. He reaches out to farmers. Farmers say, come here now. We have a contract. Get this wheat off of my field because it is time to harvest that wheat. There's winter wheat and there's summer wheat. Well, used to in the Midwest, especially what we do, we did corn and we did wheat. And further south, of course, you had cotton. Well, now what do we do in harvest? Well, you've got 42 different types of seed oils that were produced and that are fake commodities, false commodities. We have stuff like rapeseed. We have, uh, you know, sunflower, which was sunflowers, you know, it's not that bad, but it's getting worse for you. But I wanted to see what the proportions were on this. And I wanted to see why wheat prices are so damn cheap and the farmers can't make any money off the wheat. But the canola, which is rapeseed, which was basically outlawed by the FDA in 1956 for any type of human consumption, is becoming one of our cash crops in the United States of America, which rapeseed is canola oil. Well, guess what? You know, canola is in everything that we eat. All right, yeah. let's look at our health. What are we? We're 78% obese or <laughs> overweight one out of two Americans are diabetic now. So I said, all right, this is where I'm going. So got on harvest and, you know, I had to embed myself. They didn't know what the hell I was doing. So I had to, you know, I had to kind of be two personalities at once when they were out drinking beer at night when they did have that chance you know, I was researching you know, I didn't bring a laptop. I had to do all this for the phone. So I was compiling notes. I was working 24 seven as I was performing harvest in the Midwest of the United States. And what they were doing is corrupt. And I saw it firsthand and it's, it's led me to here. It's led me to this conversation with you. So well, harvest is something. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I, I just kind of want to,
0: how many different states did y'all hit in that season?
1: Sure. We went from uh, Texas, uh, just this harvest. We're one harvest crew. And mind you, this is just one harvest crew. And there's many. We went from Texas. We didn't hit Mississippi. We got over, like you said, but we didn't go over that far east. We hit Texas, Kansas, Nebraska, South Dakota, North Dakota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, and Texas. Oh, so you just-
0: So you just looped up north and then looped it right back down to uh, south. Yeah, okay, that's okay. that's.
1: But there are some blo- global harvest companies. I'll put it that way. That are big, big. You know, they're big corporation type of harvest guys. And of course, that's part of the industrial food complex. They're funded by that shit. And you know, this guy, his family had started a harvest company in 1955. Back whenever it was a wholesome. You know, we we were eating wholesome food. You know, just as my grandfather used to, um, you know, farm and harvest himself. But you know, we know when that you and I know when that time changed. That was 1970s, You know, what the fuck happened in nineteen seventy-one? But yeah, so what we did is we went totally up there and totally back. And you just have these contracts, and you go in and you go, hey, you know, here's twelve, here's two thousand acres, here's four thousand acres. Here's six thousand acres, here's twelve thousand acres, whatever it is. And you just piecemeal it is. It is a contract kind of laden system.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. So one of the things that one of the things that we talked about when we I think it was the very first time that we met, you were telling me about this. And it was what you saw. It wasn't that you just went on harvest. It wasn't that you just embedded yourself. It was the 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 intelligence that you were pulling off the field. And if and I'm I'm definitely going to mess this up. So please correct me in the in the right get me going in the right direction after I say the following. But what I remember you telling me was that last year and the year before you would see like commodity farmers farming half wheat, half canola. And then this year you saw almost no wheat being harvested and almost all canola is that correct well
1: it's kind of correct let's let's just talk of percentages okay okay um the last three years this is kind of how i've seen it play out is the wheat crop has declined the canola crop has increased the wheat price to the farmer has declined the canola price has increased to the farmer. Okay. So So that sounds like it breaks.
0: Yeah. it, It seems to me like it breaks the the, the general rule of supply and demand.
1: Exactly. It does. And what that is, okay, people, what is wheat? Well, it's bread. It's everything that we survived on since biblical times, right? You know, wheat is very, very sacred. It's ancient. And what is, what is canola? It's rapeseed. It's a weed. So whenever our United States government is manipulating with the USDA to make farmers basically create a crash cash crop out of a mm, fake commodity, there's an issue there and supply and demand, like you said. And this is going to go deep. And you and I, of course, we know we won't have just one hour we can do this in. But, uh, you know, you look at the food supply right now. You look at the chain supply issues, everything that's going on right now. You can start connecting a few dots. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know,
0: it it seems to me that because it's like, you know, canola. Yeah. Okay. In food usage, it's not a food, but it is used in food, much to our detriment, we know that. But what we've got now is a situation where canola is, is anything, if it's used for anything, it's going to be used for the oil for deep frying stuff. So it's non-nutritive at all. There's no nutrition. It, Yeah, you don't get, you, you get calories from it, but only residual calories because it's mostly drained off of your French fries at McDonald's. It's still bad for you, but it's non-nutritive and we're growing more of it rather than the cal- the calories that we would be intaking through wheat and corn. I, I love the whole corn issue because most of the corn that is grown in the United States is non-nutritive corn. It is either turned into some kind of biofuel, uh, like, well, ethanol, or it's turned into high fructose corn syrup. And I remember there was a, uh, there was a uh, documentary that I saw not too long ago by a couple of college kids that tracked what they wanted to do was they wanted to rent an acre of farmland in the Midwest, grow corn on it, and track that corn all the way to the product, that, the final product that you ate. And what they found along the way literally made them sick. And it was, I wish I could remember the name of it, but it was absolutely fascinating because they went through the chemistry of high fructose corn syrup. They found, like, they actually said, oh, look, you know, it was like the day before harvest. So they went out to the field and they got this great big, you know, cob of corn off of their acre. And they sat on the truck and they took a bite out of it. And they were like, it tastes like chalk. And they talked, and one of the scenes was they went to the farmer that they rented the land from, and they were going, what the hell's up with this corn? And the guy just sat there and laughed. And I love these two kids because they were like there to ask the stupid questions that everybody else is afraid to ask. And they, didn't, they were not afraid to be laughed at. They were laughed at by everybody in the town. But the town, had, town folk ended up really liking these kids. But the farmer looked at them and said, boys, that corn ain't for eating and then all hell breaks loose in the rest of this in the rest of this documentary. So you've kind of confirmed what I've been suspecting all along is that we're not really growing food anymore. We grow stuff that looks like food, but it ain't food and we're going to start hurting probably this winter because we've got this compound issue of the supply chain going on. So can you can you speak to some of that?
1: Yeah, it's well, it's you know, they're going to blame everything on COVID. And the way I look at it is they're going to create a short-term food supply chaotic event. And people, of course, we know what people do. They hoard, they, they, they run to the supermarkets and everything. So I believe, I believe, and I don't know if I'm going to be right. I do not know. But from what I do know of how I know things, this is what I see. I see a food supply shortage in the short term. And then long-term I see a nutritional starvation of the diet that we are eating as we know it. And that is happening right. because you can see it um, already from The Economist, I saw an article today on The Economist, everybody's coming after beef. They're gonna kill beef and they're gonna do very be very successful with that. Just as they were by creating a fake commodity market after the gold standard was you know, nixed by the United States of America. What we did is we created that debt economy. What did we have to do? Well, we had yeah. to make new fake commodities to make false money valuable. And what we're seeing right now, where are we? We're in hyperinflation. What are they doing? They're going to make some new fake commodities. That fake commodity is going to be fake protein. And they're doing it with that unedible Type of plant that you just talked of corn, soy, canola. Those are the three big ones that I've focused on. And there's a lot more coming down the pipe that I don't even have time to get into. But this food is not edible. Every year, they can't plant the same seed as they did last year. They have to genetically modify it. They have to use a whole new round of pesticides. You know, being who you are, of how destroyed our soil is. So they're they're chasing their tail on this. Well, that that's gonna create some type of shortage. And how do you get out of a shortage? How do you get out of a devaluation? Will you create something that people are already addicted to? What are they addicted to? Well, that fake commodity that, yep, that fake commodity that we made in the seventies. And they're so addicted to it, it's killing them. But they damn, they they're going to consume it, and they're going to consume a lot of it. So what are they doing? They're living a high time, preface, low value, short lifespan life. That's perfect for their agenda.
0: Yeah, you know, if they' if if I can't remember what it was, I tweeted something out the other day that got you know a fair amount of traction. But essentially, it was as agri and pharma. Uh, kind of hook up together because they, they, well, they've been hooked up for a while, but it's like now that there's, there's literally no curtain in front of that relationship. It's very freaking clear. <clears throat> and yeah. and And it was essentially that, well, shit, if we can make money off you getting you sick, then we're going to make money off of you keeping you sick. And then You know, at that point, they can just make money off. They make money off you coming and going, literally. And, you know, if we don't reverse this trend, especially, you know, especially with kids. I mean, the amount of obese children that I've seen over the last 10 years has increased like damn near exponentially. It's really, really kind of sad. But before I get, I don't want to rant. I I have to be the host. So um, can you tell me what the soil was like? And be, before you get into that, I, I want to, like, there's a lot of people that listen to the show that actually do know some, some things about soil are the, is the soils that you were experiencing, were they at all healthy? And can you kind of talk about what it, that soil looked like color wise? You know, was it sand? Was it really fluffy and brown? The no, I mean, yeah, brown. the, the
1: best pr- the best soil I saw was in North Dakota, And North Dakota's, you know, North Dakota, a lot of people don't talk about it. It's a beautiful state, beautiful country up there, beautiful people. Uh, But, you know, coming from where we come from, the panhandle of Texas, you know, where my grandfather used to farm. And this is how I know, and you brought up a good point, color. The color is clay-like. It looks burnt in a way. And, it, you know, this is a big generalization and you know I'm talking about a lot of part of the United States here, but the soil I saw was not the soil that I know. And I think the soil that you would classify as good soil. One thing I did see with that soil, I went out and walked these farms after we, uh, these, these, ac- this, the acreage after we would do the harvest. And I would go out there and kind of explore. And every one of my found pesticide labels and i even got some pictures of those on on my newsletter so the soil looked damaged parts of north dakota it looked good uh but they're still you know they're battling the same thing it's it's a it's a united states issue it's not a state thing it's all over the place i think that you know north dakota's always had very very rich soil i mean the grasslands there are still wonderful because they don't touch them but the where they where they're putting the the commodity planting as far as the rapeseed and then of course the wheat it doesn't look the same as what the grass is on and i went out and did that i went out there and kicked around some dirt on some where they were you know doing grass-fed beef where those grass-fed beef never get a chemical in them and then i went over and looked at the soil you know in a wheat farm it was totally different
0: yep yep and, and,
1: and, and that's a good comparison, you know, that's a great comparison because North Dakota has tons of grass fed beef still. They're really doing well with their grass fed beef and it's still making them really good money. And, you you know, that you, it's a perfect comparison if you want to be somebody, you know, the whole grasslands of the United States have been destroyed. And you and I know the history of that. But up North Dakota, that's probably the most fertile grasslands that I've seen. Okay,
0: it, it this reminds me, I've been reading yet one more, as if I need to read another book about soil, but yes, I'm reading yet one more book about soil, and I ran across a, a passage that I had to highlight, and I wanted to bring it up with you today, because it involves directly uh, this passage in this book that was talking about canola, but I want to back up from canola to talk a, a little bit about soil biology, because basically... I know pretty much for a fact that all the way up until about when you get into South Dakota, that you're you're looking at a complete and total devastation of the soil state in the United States. And that directly it's not just the fact that we're growing commodity crops. It's everything from putting high poundage, you know, high tonnage machinery on the ground, which compacts it. It's the use of herbicides. It's the use of pesticides. It's like, and and the use of chemical fertilizers all go into the destruction of the actual biology that's in the soil and the biology that's in, in North Dakota or, you know, North and South Dakota, there's still some biology there left. It's more down here in the flats that you get this high compact soil. And one of the critters that is absolutely essential that forms a biological, uh, biological symbiotic connection with the plants, whether they're, you know, most, most grasses have this. And that includes corn, wheat, barley, rye, pretty much all of our older commodities and it's mycorrhizal fungi. It's it's the kind of fungus that you don't really ever see. It's fruit. You're never going to see a mushroom out of it in the grocery store. And yet there's basically six types of it and they're all, critical to functional soil biology and the ability for plants to get nutrients in a way that does not depend on their own root structure. Now, given that, what I read last night scared the piss out of me when it comes to canola. This particular researcher has written this book and she was talking about experiments that were done on soil where they were a bunch of uh, PhDs from various agricultural colleges were going around testing soils. And they were looking specifically for, for mycorrhizal fungi because they knew by that time that this was a critical component as critter, as critter life in the soil. What they found was that after a canola crop, the amount of micro it was almost as if the canola crop poisoned the mycorrhizal fungi. It was not there. It was not present in the soil. So I read that this, and I I wish I had the thing in front of me. If I, if I got it, I'd have to get up and go get it. And I don't want to do that. But essentially she was saying everywhere that they grew canola, we can't find very much functional mycorrhizal fungi. So you've got a crop that's literally killing the shit that crops need because canola is one of the plants that does not, does not form a beneficial relationship with mycorrhizal fungi. So everywhere they're putting that shit down, just by itself, the plant kills it. What do you got to say about that? What's your reaction to that?
1: Well, you know, that, and that's interesting that we've come to hear, David, because let's talk about that. Why do you have to grow a weed in North Dakota? Disseminate that real quick. Why do you have to do Because North Dakota is still one of the purest forms of soil we have in the United States. And, and in North Dakota, 50% of our harvest was canola. It doesn't have to be. You can grow, grow canola here, you know, anywhere where you got bad soil, right? Because it's a weed. It's going to grow. And that that's that's pretty enlightening to me i'm kind of sitting here kind of dumbfounded a little bit because what that leads into what i've i've been thinking is going on is let's 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 dissect this in the way that we can how much big land is being bought up and how much big land do they know is actually destroyed now they know that they can't really sustain this anymore and with the purity of the seed that we basically established United States with. So, okay, so we've gradually destroyed the ground with basically horrible seeds that have been genetically modified that has basically created these false commodities. I can see an agenda here that basically, yes, it's intentional. They know that it's killing the ground and they've got a backup plan. And that backup plan is basically to shift our whole diet to all fake commodity grown, genetically modified bullshit that has gotten us here and that is destroying our metabolical health as a, as a nation. And, and guess what? They're about to spread it across the world because we're getting this one world food group going. Yeah. So you just, you, you just came, you came up with something that's pretty fascinating and I want to say this real quick and this is very, very fiat Guess what they do with the canola plant, the rapeseed plant. And this is fascinating. In North Dakota, it's a small tourist industry for people from Japan to come and do photography on the rapeseed because it has a yellow flower on it. Oh,
0: propaganda.
1: Yes. That's just propagandizing
0: it, man. How fiat is that? That's, it. that's so That's so fiat, it goes back to to Nazi uh, propaganda, which exactly. basically was, well, Nazi propaganda was the structuring of American uh, advertising on Madison Avenue.
1: Yeah, you're 100% right there. So you look at North Dakota, you have the rolling hills. You guys look up North Dakota and look at the rolling hills and just do a harvest in North Dakota, you'll see beautiful rolling hills of wheat. You'll see beautiful hill, you know, sunflowers, you know, days gone by. And now you get rolling hills of this green and yellow weed. It looks like a weed that we have up here in the Texas panhandle, David.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it. I've seen, I've seen entirely too
1: much of it. In fact, so that's now a tourist industry. Oh, God. Well, I don't know how big it is, but, you know, I I definitely saw some people taking pictures.
0: Yeah, it's disgusting. But I just ran across I ran across something else that fits into all of this. Um, how, did you see a man integrated uh, tweet that he put out about three o'clock this afternoon? No, I've been so swamped, I, I haven't. But Ch- check I, this. Shit. I will check this shit out. I'll, I'll just read it to you because it's gonna okay. it's gonna play into all this, not it, beyond the canola thing, but. It says, do you know what the U.S. agriculture supply chain needs right in the middle of harvest? A union strike at the largest farm equipment manufacturer in the world while it's already battling part shortages and dealer network challenges. AP News is reporting that John Deere workers have are on strike yeah. right now. <laughs> right now. This happened Today. More than 10,000 deer and company workers went on strike Thursday, the first major walkout at the agricultural machinery giant in three decades.
1: Guess what? Guess what? (laughs) What? When we were on harvest, on a harvest crew, you better know your shit. Like I said, I got a skill. You got to know your stuff. We had to fix our own equipment because we couldn't get people out there. We had to do our own welding. We had to do everything. We had to clip cables so the computer wouldn't screw with the operation of the tractor because we couldn't get anybody from John Deere out there. We had one visit from John Deere. And that's that's huge what you just said, because most of these combines, these tractors, they don't run unless the computer's running right. That right is by design. Right. You know, think about GPS whenever you're doing harvest. And right now, they're right right get this, they're right in the middle of forage corn harvest. Mm-hmm. And most of the corn harvest that they're doing right now, it's not consumption harvest. It's for your beef and your hogs and your chickens. Yep.
0: Yeah. It's going to be a weird winter. It's just going to be, it's, it's going to be bizarre, <laughs> but we've got better fish to fry because we're at yes. 32 minutes already and we need to get into the Texas beef initiative. So
1: okay, so
0: outline right. that Uh, I hate the the hard break segue, but it has to be done. Well, you know,
1: we're going to continue this conversation and I don't like to go too far with a lot because this is a bigger picture and we're going to have to have a very low time preference, you know, high value exchange of uh, content with everybody that's listening to us. And so I just don't, this is not, you know, this is not a news report. This is not the mainstream media bullshit. This is something that people need to get foundationally understood so they can move forward with their nutrition delivery system that they're going to give to themselves and their family. And that's it. It is a good time to segue into, you know, the beef initiative. And that's what we're going to call it. The Texas beef initiative. You know, and what we're doing, because you and I live in cattle country. This is where you know this was a trading post for cattle. This Charles Goodnight is up here. He established in them, you know, this area in a, a very good way. And um, so, beef is close to us. And what I've been doing, and you've been helping, and we've been kind of talking about this is finding local beef suppliers. In the, in the Texas panhandle that are basically trying to shake up the industry themselves as well. Because in Texas, you can be your producer, you can be your processor, you can be your supplier. And you can, we, you and I can buy from this person. So what we're going to do is we're going to start creating a network of local producers. And what we're going to do is we're going to reach out to the Bitcoin world and say, hey, do you want some beef? We're going to connect some dots here. Let us start working and let's start forming some nodes and let's start working in a very decentralized way to where we can start delivering protein to you and your family. Animal protein that is not polluted with any of these chemicals and they're grass fed or if they are corn fed they're going to be better corn that you know that's better that's you know not the stuff that we were just talking about so what we're doing is we're building a beef initiative and i go to austin once a month and what i'm going to do is i'm going to start getting one cow i'm going to quarter that cow and i'm going to start meeting bitcoiners and we're going to start you know doing an exchange we're going to start educating the protein suppliers that are local the people that are doing it right that are not handcuffed by the usda's in a way that a lot of other states are because we are in texas and we're going to work through this and we're going to create a decentralized beef network okay i think
0: it's really important that and i think you're the best person to speak on it because you've been talking to some people up here about the handcuffing of the USDA of beef and and other animal protein producers around the nation. And yet Texas doesn't have those kind of strictures. Can you kind of unfold that a little bit so people
1: understand? Sure. Well, most of all of our animal protein is controlled by the USDA. Um, what says goes. So that's our United States government saying, nope, you're not going to get that protein delivery to your brain. Basically, that's what it comes down to. They monitor animal protein in the United States of America. And they have always done that since, you know, Great Depression, all that kind of stuff, how all this stuff happened. But really, you know, what we're looking at, the state of Texas was founded on one thing, cattle. And if you look at the history in the 1800s, all the way from the before before Texas, you know, went into its own revolution, before the Comanche Wars, before all of that, we had cattle here, you know, and it was a transition from the bison to the cattle. Well, Texas is pretty dang protective of its cattle industry. We've always had to fight. Um, There's always been lawsuits. We're always fighting the United States government. And we're saying you're not going to touch our cattle industry throughout the years they've infiltrated our our cattle industry in ways that you know the best way they've done it up you know up to now is through processors there's only four meat processors in the united states that serve most of the united states of america that's jbs that's national cargill and tyson well by usda standards they get to control everything usda is in bed with the fda and so they really have a lot to say about when a cow is processed how it's processed what chemicals shot in that cow's ass before they put it down and you know whenever you separate yourself from the usda you have more playing you know you have more leverage let's talk leverage And so in Texas, you can go out there and you can usurp the USDA. You're not going around all the rules completely, but since you are Texas certified and you have gone through the state of Texas, that means that the state of Texas will back you and say, hey, we will, we will be your USDA stamp. You don't have to have that USDA stamp on your package of meat. You got the state of Texas on that pack of meat.
0: Okay. And that's, that's actually a big deal for those of you guys that don't know, uh, killing an animal, uh, in a way that where you're going to be able to harvest the protein in the form of steaks, rib racks does and it doesn't matter. Chicken, hog, ostrich, you know, it, it, it literally doesn't matter. It, a USDA inspected facility is, is required for you to be able to sell your product for you to be able to package it and put it on a shelf or sell it from like your farm to somebody else or take your stuff off farm like to a farmer's market and sell it in in most states you have to have that animal processed at a usda inspected station and those are multi-million dollar facilities even the smaller ones from what I understand from at least one rancher uh, out on the East coast or somewhere, I want to say like Tennessee or something like that. He had to build a $1 million facility because he wanted to slaughter his cattle on farm and it has to be inspected several times a year. And the guidelines almost crushed him. Now our friend and a couple of the other people that we're going to start getting to know around these parts, They don't have to be inspected by USDA because they're going through the state of Texas. And from what I understand, as long as you're selling inside the borders of the state of Texas, the USDA doesn't come anywhere around that. Is, 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 did I get that right?
1: Yeah. You know, and there's going to be some little (laughs) whatever's in this. We're gonna look, there's loopholes, there's all kinds, it's the law, right? But the right. our friend JT basically what he's done, he spent two years going through all this and he has fought and he's won every bit of it. So he's kind of a genius when it comes to this. And so everything you said is correct. And you know what's gonna be really fun moving forward is that JT he 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 knows people in Austin. He knows the whole system. And what he wants to do is he wants to start helping the Bitcoin community come out here and educate people and ask them questions because he, he wants to talk about this. He wants people in Texas to say, hey, you want to do what I'm doing? I want to teach you. I want to help you. i want to give you guidance. And so what he has done is he went in and dove deep and found out all the laws because a lot of these people that do the enforcement of the, of these types of laws, they don't really know the law. They're just being the policemen. And so he was able to dissect all these Texas laws and how they compare and contrast with the USDA. And he's golden. He, he, he's off. You know, he's built his facility. He's got 100 head of cattle right now ready to, you know, they're finishing off right now. And they're ready for processing. So, and he goes, he goes live first of November, right? Right. Yeah. And what, you know, once again, that is the only reason that he's not going live sooner supply chain, <laughs> you know, he's, he's doing his, his rack system. And so it's a pretty, it's pre- pretty crazy system. I went out there and looked at it, but uh, that's the only thing that's delaying him. Everything else is good. So, uh, so let me, let me see if I can kind of
0: <clears throat> put this in perspective. So we got JT who's, who's been, ranching and, and raising animals for quite a while already. And right. then y- you kind of hooked up with him. So he he's kind of built, he went through all the the, the the issues with the state of Texas to get it done to where he can slaughter on farm, sell his product off a of farm and anywhere in the state of Texas. So he's about to go live in November. So when you were talking to him, had did, did you talk at all to him about Bitcoin? So like, to this point.
1: Yeah. And we all have to master this skill. <laughs> yeah. But-, but I did talk, you know, but that's really cool. I want, I'm glad you brought that up because most of these people that are in this type of food industry, you know, either it be organic farming or if it be, you know, grass fed beef or whatever type of animal protein, they're already living a decentralized life. They don't even know that they're living a the Bitcoin standard in a lot of ways, and so I've pretty much knew that going into the conversation with JT. And how I framed it is everybody's kind of heard of it, they don't know much about it. But how I talked to him about Bitcoin was how my grandfather, basically out on the farm, they had a party line, right? They didn't have a full, you know phone system. I said, what we're going to do is we're going to build your network that you already got going on right now. You're not going to have to go through Facebook anymore. You know, We're going to decentralize your offerings, your business model and everything. And we're going to do it through a decentralized network of people. And of course, through a protocol, I said, this is going to take us some time, but we're going to do exactly what you're already doing in your life. And he, he got that. And, uh, you know, he, he asked a really good question. He said, well, you know, I don't know if I can really afford any of it. And that's what most people say right now. But he goes, can I accept Bitcoin as payment? And I said, you damn right. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, they're going to get it. There's going to be a lot of education. And that's fine that all of us are going to have to do that. And we have to be very good at educating people, especially we just can't talk about it on Twitter anymore. We've got to go out there and we've got to create some utility. We've got to create some understanding. How can I make this a sense of agency for this businessman to understand what we're talking about? And so that's what we're about to do in the beef industry here in Texas in I think it's going to be pretty exciting. There's going to be a lot of challenges. Don't get me wrong. Everybody's already coming after me saying, what about this? What about I said, stop, stop, don't, don't do this. I've been in startup companies before and most startup companies, they fail because they don't even take one step first.
0: Yeah. Uh, the, it it literally is We're we're. I think we're finding ourselves in a position where we're, you know, thank God we're in Texas because this is the one place where the following may not get us killed. Just do it and ask for forgiveness later. And I'm not even really all that interested in asking forgiveness as much as, okay, how can I do this where you either don't see it next time or it doesn't rankle your ass next time. Either way, I don't care, but God forbid I'm This is going to get done one way or another. So let me kind of go through a scenario with you from J, like from our friend JT, all the way down to some guy in Austin. It seems to me that what you're talking about is this. You buy potentially with Bitcoin through something like Strike, using Strike or like, I don't know, the uh, Breeze wallet as a point of sale. He, JT, accepts Bitcoin for a whole cow. Then he processes it. And I'm sure that the processing costs are included with the cow. So let's just say it's all paid for and you bought it with Bitcoin and he accepted that. What he does with that Bitcoin on his side is his business. We are done with that transaction. Now you've got a whole cow worth of processed meat, bones and offal. And for those who don't know what offal is, it's the internal organs because them's good eats if you do it right. And they're also highly nutritious, by the way. I, I know a lot of people don't like liver, but rethink that and, and learn how to cook it correctly. And it's, it's actually pretty damn good. But So now you're loaded up with a couple of freezers in a pickup truck and you're, you're hauling ass down, down to Austin. What happens between here and Austin? How, how are you offloading this meat? How are you hooking up with the people that want that meat? And how are they going
1: to pay you? And that's going to be basically, because we have a lot of anonymous in Bitcoin, right? And so right. that's going to be up to the individuals. I'm not going to play the, the the ghost game too much or the cat and mouse game with this, because I know there's going to be people that aren't anonymous, but it just depends on the person. And we're I'm going to buy one full cow and I'm going to get it quartered. I'm going to have four quarters. I'm going to head to Austin. I'm going to have already did the tricks action with JT in the beginning. I won't be giving him Bitcoin. That's going to come down the line whenever he's ready for that. Right. Okay. What that he knows, fair. he knows, uh, what he does know is that, um, I'm creating a network that's going to be decentralized in the future. I show up and I say, okay, Hey, you know, we'll, we'll say, um, we'll say Bubba, Bubba is on Austin. Hey, Bubba. And we'll say Bubba's in Austin and he ordered, you know, a quarter of a cow. I said, all right, here, here it is. Here's your 125 pounds, usually about. And so I have my wallet. He has this wallet and the deal is done. It doesn't have to be any more than that. See, that's,
0: that's the trick folks. It's, it's it's actually really simple. And this can, you know, in in my mind, this kind of all starts compiling into, a decentralized co-op where there's not it doesn't actually have to be a building and when i mean a, you know a co-op i'm talking about a co-op grocery store if you've never seen one before you know duck duck go or google or however you want to get your information just do a search on co-op grocery stores and i believe that whole foods actually started out very similar to a cooperative and then very quickly of course turned they did. into That's, not a yeah, cooperative yeah but yeah
1: you're exactly right in austin texas on ninth and lamar that's where hopefully it started as a co-op yeah and so the the, you know
0: i i think like jt like i think of jt as like a a test case um i don't want to make it turn him into a guinea pig or anything like that because he has a life he has a family that is to be respected but somebody's got to be first god damn it and if somebody can say come out six months later and say you know i actually made out like bandits on this deal it's easy to use and i i can still you know have all the information that i can you know because he's got to pay his taxes and he doesn't want to lose his business and he doesn't want to go to prison i i hate taxes as much as anybody else but you know what i hate more i hate the thought of prison so he can still pull all that information he can still be able to pay his taxes he could still take Bitcoin and not have to worry about the fiat aspect and the fiat aspects that he does have to worry about. If we're able to, if we're able to leverage something like strike where it can go be converted instantly inside the wallet into fiat and he can pay his bills with it and it becomes easy. Then the next person he talks to about it is probably going to be another ag producer that may or may not be in beef. Maybe they're a vegetable farmer and that vegetable farmer says, well, shit, can I sell lettuce for doing it the same way you can? And my answer is going to be yes. And in fact, we need carrots and we need beets and we need cantaloupe and we need watermelon and we need chicken and hog and all kinds of shit. And then all of a sudden you have this situation where it's possible to have a brick and mortar store where somebody can walk in. Several farmers are represented, but they're not there because somebody is is basically... Coagulating all of their produce, putting it into a store. You go in there, you can buy it with Bitcoin over the Lightning Network, or you could do something even more decentralized where it's just out on the roads. There's just a a delivery truck that you just buy it online with a QR code. You, You do all your shopping. A QR code is represented. You pull out your blue wallet. You you give them a Lightning payment, and then all of a sudden, it's like your delivery will be in four days. Or two days or, or whatever. And if you need it immediately, that's when you might go down to the brick and mortar store. I mean, this shit can be done, right?
1: Of course it can. I mean, what's different? I, mean, I remember, because you know, like I said, I was in Austin. I remember when payment delivery was done in, you know, on the internet whenever I was very young. And uh, you know, people didn't want to spend money on the internet. We're at the same place. What's the difference of me going to something like south40beef.com in North Dakota, and them having a Bitcoin payment option. <laughs> there's no different. Uh, you know, There's all kinds of people that are already online that are doing grass-fed beef. And guys, it doesn't have to be grass-fed beef. It could still be USDA. What There's there's a lot of things going, moving parts that are going on right here, right now. And so you, you painting the picture in the beginning is what we need to do. Uh, Texas is the best state to do this. There's going to be challenges there's going to be things that people come up with you know i know people are going to start you know saying oh well that's a red flag that's a red flag that's a red flag Mm -hmm. i don't care because what we're going to do is we're going to get nutrition delivery system to people's brains because you're getting you know you're you're getting deprived and it's going to get worse so you just you you explained it better than i can and you know you've been working with lightning you've been working with bitcoin There's going to be a way that we do this, and it takes one person. It takes one supplier, and I want every Texas beef supplier that is like JT to contact us. If you're out there, if you're anonymous or whatever, contact David and I because this is going to grow. I'm going to try to contact every beef supplier in the state of Texas, and we're going to start shilling them on saying, hey, there is a better way. You know, there is a better way to do this. And we have to start there. We have to. And if it starts with one cow, that's how we're going to do it. Right. And as a reminder,
0: as to for everybody who's listening, going, well, shit, I can just go to the grocery store and go get it. Yeah.
1: For how much longer, people? For how much longer? Because as you you stated. Go ahead. I'll make this promise to everyone right now. This is going to happen, and this will be another episode. But you can look on the you can look on my uh newsletter on the substack. They are going to there's an eight-year plan here, guys. They are going to turn beef into caviar. That's how scarce it's going to be. Yep. It's going yep. to get that way. Beef is not going to go down again. And if it does go down, it's going to be a form of beef that you do not want to consume.
0: But it ain't just beef. And that's physically. going to happen.
1: That is and going it, to
0: happen. But it's not going to be just beef, is it? It's going to be chicken. No, it's, it's going to be, be fish. everything. Fish is going to be every manner of animal protein. And I'm yes. have i I'm actually kind of scared as to what they're going to do. Uh, Texas probably you know, will have the same hunting laws. But think about Colorado and New Mexico hunting tags for deer and elk. Yep. Can you imagine yeah. what kind of strictures they're going to put on that shit if they even
1: allow that crap at all? and that's what you know we're getting close to the end i know and this is what i really want to you know i want this to be a wake up call to people they're coming after your nutrition they're going to create a nutrition a nutrient starvation that nobody's talking about and i got the receipts i know how they're doing it and how it's going to play out the hardest thing for me is to be patient because we have to step this along and do very good information. Let people say, I see what they're talking about. It can't be dramatic. It can't, it's gotta be valid. It's gotta be proven and everything that I release is valid and proven. So what we need to understand, we as a nation, we are sick as a collective. We are already under a form of metabolic failure that nobody talks about. Just like you said, on that documentary with the corn, Mm -hmm. we're about to go into another phase that people do not understand. And it's not going to be a food supply shortage in the long run, because there's going to be plenty of crap to eat. There's not going to be any nutrients in there for your kids. There's not going to be any nutrient in there for your brain to be the person that you need to be as a parent, as, as just a sovereign individual, everybody's in this Bitcoin network for a reason to be sovereign, right? Well, you better start looking at the source of the seed. You better start paying attention to what you're consuming. You better bring some food intelligence into your life, or you're going to kill yourself in a way that you don't understand. And it's already happening. And this is not being dramatic. This is full force truth. And this is what we are in the Bitcoin community. We're about truth. And so I've dedicated my life. I know you have in every way that you can to do the same thing. And what we've got to get people to pay attention to is you better start paying attention to your food. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, there's another way to pay attention to your food is by paying attention to other people's food. Uh, one of the things that I can't help but to do is, when I'm at the grocery store, <laughs> I I can't help but look at what's in other people's, you know, baskets. And I don't stare. I don't have to. Cause I can take one glance across this pile. Like what like generally it looks like this. It's a basket that has like that's mounted over, and on all three rails, the two sides in the front, there are hanging six packs of Mountain Dew, Dr. Pepper, Coke. And and the minute that I see that. I know that the people pushing it are overweight. I look up and sure enough, they're overweight and it's filled with chips. It's filled with frozen dinners. It's filled with frozen pizzas. It's filled with basically 80% starch. It, it, and that's on the lucky side and maybe, you know, 20% protein. And honestly, the pro that protein is not in good condition. It's, it's just not so, um, like the next time you're at the grocery store, start becoming aware of what is actually being sold. Like when I was, where I worked at Whole Foods, when they remember that, that remember when they opened the giant corporate store on fifth uh, and Lamar when they moved. Yeah. A, yeah. A few, like in uh, 2000, was it 2005? I believe is when yeah, the, I was right that around store. there.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I
0: opened that store and I was a oh, bakery. Wow. And so I was on the bakery team. And one of the things that the leadership team did not do is they did not lock down their computers in the office. And you know what I had access to all the front end data. And for those of you who've never worked in a grocery store, the front end data is basically everything that Pat, every item that gets scanned at the front end of the store, the registers where you go and you check out and you pay all of that data is collected and thrown automatically into this giant excel spreadsheet that's basically live and i could see how much i could see like pound like pounds of quinoa that were sold in the prepared food section i knew how many loaves of bread were sold i could tell you how many cans of tomatoes were sold and i was looking at it and i was just i mean it was whole foods So And at the time, that's when Mackey was still in charge of it, and they hadn't sold it to Amazon, and it was still really good quality. So I couldn't, you know, but even then, I was seeing a lot of starch. I was seeing a lot of non-nutrition flowing out of the store because it's it's, it's easy to eat. You don't have to prepare it. I mean, so the thing about it is, is that be aware of your food. Be aware of other what other people are eating because that's going to be the people that you may actually have to fight in the end for this shit. Learn how to cook. Jesus Christ, yeah. people. I mean, it's like if you it's... don't know, if you say, I don't know how to cook, then grab a pan, fill it full of fucking water, put it on the stove, and stand there until it boils. Your lesson, introductory lesson of cooking is now over. Congratulations. You know how to fucking cook stop <laughs> doing this shit to yourself. it's ridiculous. So uh, modern <laughs> so <laughs> the, our, mo- our modern world is 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 really messed up and we've got to re- redesign it into something else and that will be part of the discussions that we will have ongoing. I'm uh, I was able to get a hold of our friend JT uh, at the farmers market uh, last okay, weekend. Uh, and made sure that he understood that it was like me. And he's like, oh, you just missed him. You just missed the man. And I'm like going, yeah, I know. He told me to come over here and make sure that I met you so that we all are on the same page. So I asked him directly, hey, man, you are are you up for doing this? Like maybe the week after next. And he's like, I am up for doing it. So now it's time for me to arrange an interview with the guy that we're talking about. And he's going to be probably the only Like, literally, he's going to be the first non Bitcoiner that I've had on the show. And I'm going to have to really
1: prepare my mind as to how to approach that.
0: (laughs) But so,
1: well, you know, and and that's, and we're going to work through that, David. I think the best way is kind of like what I kind of framed it is like, let's think about how our grandparents lived, all the way from cooking, all the way to talking about Bitcoin. You know, they lived a very decentralized life and that a lot of people don't understand that they haven't done their legwork to look back on history and say, man, we were so decentralized back then. And so that's a good way to, you know, that's a good way to get into it. And, you know, per your rant there, that was perfect. We got to quit. And and I'm guilty. Blame me. But we all got to quit being rent seeking cucks to all this food that is killing us. Amen.
0: And we're going to end it there. So before you go, you got to tell everybody again, how to get in touch with you because I'm, I'm sure some people are going to have further questions. Sure.
1: Yeah. You can go to either at modern T man, just put that in your browser and it'll show up and my Twitter will pop up. Or you can go to initiative initiative, take the initiative.substack.com. And that's going to take you to the newsletter and there's all kinds of good uh, other uh, you know podcasts we did with Princey that you've heard, David. And then there's narrative after narrative within the newsletter. And then you've got my good chip point, uh, posting on Twitter, but I have a lot of valuable stuff there as well. Yeah, and he does
0: have quite a bit of valuable stuff there as well. Uh, we are over the hour, so we're gonna go ahead and just get to the end. Uh, If you want to support the show, make sure you listen to it on the Breeze Wallet and you can stream me some sats right from the middle of a lightning wallet of all things. has a podcast app right stuck smack dab broony in the middle and you can do it that way. If you want to uh, deal in dirty fiat, you can always use my Patreon page. It is Bitcoin and podcast on the Patreon website. And let's see what else. Oh, yeah, my Twitter tips are open. So if you want to tip me, but if you don't want to do any of that, five star reviews and getting helping me get the word out about the, the podcast. Uh, I'm the, as far as I know, I'm the only podcast that does like a daily news show. And uh, hopefully be able to spice it up with a little, you know, a few more interviews. And I think I want to kind of go the regenerative ag route on that all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how this develops. It's like, you know, I've been doing it for three years. Um, probably not going to go anywhere anytime soon, but we'll see. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.